Hello, I'm Julie Burstein, and I am so happy to welcome you to Pursuit of Spark. And I'm thrilled to begin these conversations about creativity with a young woman I met in 2010 at a workshop that Seth Godin held for entrepreneurial women. What I noticed first about Liz was the way she can light up a room. She sparkles. She's got this wonderful sense of humor, and she's just a delight. As I got to know her, I could see what was underneath that, which is a real determination and grit and an ability to get something new done. Liz Forkin Bohannon is the founder and co-dreamer, that's the title that she's chosen for herself, for Seiko Sandals. She makes sandals in Uganda, and you can see them on the feet of women all over the United States, particularly if you go on a college campus in the warmer months. You can see young women wearing these lovely sandals. They're made of leather with a rubber sole, and what keeps them on your feet are these long strips of beautiful African fabrics that can be tied a million different ways. Liz founded Seiko Sandals in 2009, but we're going to start her story a little bit earlier when she was just shortly out of university herself. She decided in 2008 that she wanted to go to Africa. She had a friend who lived in Kinshasa, and the friend said, come, you can live with me. So Liz started exploring what was going on in Uganda. And through her research, she came upon an organization called Cornerstone, which was founded by Tim and Kathy Kreuter. And Liz tells us what happens next. So I contacted them and I was like, hi, my name's Liz and here's my skills and here's my resume and here's what I can do and da 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 and is there a need for you? And got an email back that said like, they were working on, they have like a quarterly newsletter. Um, and basically said, like, sure, you can do this. Come. And so I was like, okay. And I, like, emailed back, kind of thinking maybe I would get some more details. And they were like, just come, and then we'll figure it out when you get there. That was literally, like, I had gotten a total of two sentences from them, which, of course, my parents were not excited about. But for me, it was like, so I told people I was going over there to do journalism and to work on this newsletter and donor relations and the whole, like, spiel, just so it didn't sound, like, so crazy. But the dirty little secret was that it was just like, okay, I'll come, like, if you'll take me. And I had really no idea what I was going to do. Liz, you were in Uganda for five months. When did you begin to think, I need to do something in addition to working for Cornerstone? How did Seiko come to be? And that was probably like two months in when I said, okay, like kind of what's next? And to me, something that's become increasingly important but was mildly important to me at the time is this idea of, I didn't want to go into this situation saying, like, I have an idea, like, here's what you need and here's how I'm going to help you fix it. So I went to Tim and basically kind of said, listen, I've got this time. I'm here for another couple months. Like, you know, obviously, this organization better than I do. What are What's going on? Like, what are the needs? Kind of where can I fit in? And so he kind of said, well, we've got this kind of growing issue. Um, the girls' school at that time was only it was three or four years old. The boys' school um, is like 15 years old. And so this was a, a relatively new development to basically do the same thing with women. So the girls graduate from Cornerstone um, or any 
A-level secondary school in December, and then university doesn't start until the next August. So there is this nine-month kind of gap year that's built into the Ugandan school system, um, basically to allow students that test in a university to have time to make money to go to college. So Uganda is a very cash-based society, um, and the school system basically works day one, you pay for your tuition for that semester for that term. And if you don't have the money in cash, like you don't go and you either don't go ever or you wait. I mean, from kindergarten to university, that's there's no compulsory education. So what was happening was they were graduating these girls. They were graduating in December. A lot of them were going back home to their villages, which were more kind of rural upcountry areas, and didn't end up coming back to go to university for a couple of reasons. One, because they're 18-year-old girls, and it's really hard to get a job when you're an 18-year-old girl in Uganda. Why is that? Why is it hard for 18-year-olds to get, or for girls to get a job? Well, it's it's hard for anybody to get a job, truth be told. So there's just very very little economic opportunity um, that exists. And any opportunity that does exist defaults to the boys. So the thought is is it's more important for a man to be educated specifically at the university level um, than it would be for a female to be. So any opportunity that might exist kind of defaults to the boys. A lot of them are from cultures and families that don't necessarily totally believe that women should be in university anyway. Like they kind of see, you've gotten this far and that was great. Why on earth would you want to keep going on? Like come home. Um, and third, the, the third issue that was really interesting to me and is pretty consistent with developing economies in general is that the girls that did manage to fight those odds and find a job and make any kind of money ended up giving all of their money back, back to their families. So Tim said, all right, we've got this problem. What did you say? I said, I'm on it. So honestly, my first thought was like, okay, which is now looking back on it, it was all part of my journey, was like, okay, well, we have to set up some sort of like fundraising sponsorship. Like I can connect, you know, specific Americans with specific girls and have them help fund their their education. And actually one of my Ugandan friends kind of challenged me in it. And they were like, well, you know, why would you do that? Like the reality is like they have nine months. Like they have nine months to work and they, what they need is a job, not like a check coming in every month, which totally rocked my world, right? Like, no, like you're, when you're in Africa, you don't, you know, you start a nonprofit or a charity or, you know, like this kind of traditional sponsorship model. So having someone come to me and say like, mm, that's not actually what needs to happen. Like what needs to happen is they need an opportunity to work. If you want to help facilitate that, that would be awesome. So that was kind of one, like, totally rocked my world. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's this, like, massive paradigm shift and was really the beginning of kind of this entirely new way of thinking about how to engage with Africa. And so what was your first idea then after thinking, all right, I'll connect these people. All right, I'm not doing that. What did you, what did you imagine? So my first thought was a chicken farm. Like, chicken we'll farm. start a chicken farm. There's, like, we can build a coop up at the school and la da 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 And... I realized like three hours into that that chickens are really gross and I don't know anything about chickens and someone had kind of said, mm, the reality is there's no money in this economy. If you really want to do something that's going to generate enough money to send these girls to university, like it has to be connected to a market that has more of a disposable income because you're not going to make very much money off of chickens here and there's a lot of people that are already doing that. So I was like, okay, point taken <laughs> and I think I was secretly kind of happy because I don't particularly love chickens. And Tim was actually the one that kind of said, you know, you should really try to think of something that's going to connect 
American women to this story. Because American women have money. You know, that's kind of where there's a more viable market and that this is something that they could probably connect to. So um, I basically started thinking, like, what is something that we could do or make that Americans would think is cool? And I had made a pair of sandals, I think it was the year before, um, that had kind of a similar design to the Seiko sandal. Another one of my dirty little secrets is that I am not a shoe person. Well, now I am because that's my life. But up until this point, just like didn't really get the, kind of had the thought. I, I just didn't get the total shoe, women, chocolate shoes craze, right? I was kind of like, I mean, they're fine. It's great. So I, one summer, had this thought of like, I would really love a pair of flip-flops that didn't flop as much. Like, you know, that kind of annoying like flop sound. But I lived in my flip-flops. So my thought was kind of like, I wonder if I could make a, a flip-flop that kind of stays, you know, tied to the foot more. So I went to like, you know, Joanne Fabric or some like craft store and bought like some flip-flops that were, you know, just basically foam and some cool funky like ribbon and went home. I was actually living with a friend at the time. So I'm like on her living room floor. She comes home from the gym. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's fine. I'm just making shoes. So I use these flip-flops in this ribbon and I kind of come up with this way that I can loop the ribbon through the flip-flop and tie it to my foot. So it kind of feels like a flip-flop. It's super comfortable but it's not flopping around everywhere. So I think it's like nifty, right? Like this is a cool little creation. And and I start wearing them and people start asking me about them. And so at the time, I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, tee hee hee, they think my shoes are cool. They don't know I made them on a living room floor, right? So when I was in Uganda and I, I was actually Skyping with one of my friends from back home and I'm like, you know, throwing out all these ideas. And one of the things that was really important, we had a couple of considerations. One, it had to be something that was relatively easy to make. I knew I was only going to have these girls for nine months. So it couldn't be a super skill intensive like craft because it's like, well, they don't have years to develop this. You know, they've got nine months. Um, the other was that I really wanted to make something out of materials that could all be sourced locally, which limited me pretty intensely because there's not a lot of manufacturing happening in the East African region. And one of my friends from back home was like, what about those like weird ribbon sandals that you made? And I was like, you know, kind of thought like, that's kind of a good idea. So that kind of, the door opened to this possibility. And it kind of fit these things of, it would appeal to an American market. I could, you know, specifically American women. I figured, I'm like, ah, I mean, how hard can it be to make sandals? Little did I know at that point, it could be very difficult. But at the time <laughs> I was like, oh, it's sandals. Like, that's super easy, you know. And I thought there could potentially be hope that we could find, you don't need that many materials to make um, a sandal. So I thought this could be something that we could find locally. Woke up the next morning and said, okay, today you figure out how to make sandals in the middle of Africa. And that was kind of the beginning of, of that adventure. So you're in Uganda, you want to make sandals. Where did you find materials? So I literally that afternoon got on a taxi and I went down to the middle of the city where all the markets were and basically just said, I'm going to start looking for materials. Now, there isn't like a ton of centralized sources of information in Uganda. So it's not like I could get on. Well, I did. I got on Google and I said like leather Uganda. And, you know, I'm getting a lot of like academic studies from like the 80s, but nothing that's actually applicable to real life, right? And so I just get on this taxi and I go down to the market and I basically just hop off at a place that looks really crowded and just start asking people, you know, where can I get this 
leather or where can I find rubber or trying to find little samples of things that are kind of like what I need that ended up being really important to have something to like hand to somebody and so it's like everyone's connected to everybody so it was like someone would say oh my mother's sister's uncle's brother you know has this and so they would take me by the hand which Ugandans love holding hands it's one of my favorite part about Ugandan culture so you're like now all of a sudden holding hands with a complete stranger like walking 45 minutes across the city it's great. I love it. Some people get really uncomfortable. So it took about two and a half or three weeks to just figure out where to get all this stuff. The last piece that I needed was something to punch holes into the leather. And I, I mean, I couldn't find a hardware store. I couldn't find a tool machinery store. I, and it was like, this is ridiculous. This is so much harder. I had tried using nails to just like go, but the holes weren't big enough to put the cord through. And it was like the last thing that I needed. And so it was like, literally for two days I had been looking for this and it started like raining and I'm like exhausted and I like just it feels like I've got everything else in this stupid like hole punching tools the last thing that I need and is this going to be the thing that sends this project to the grave because that's really stupid and I see this guy sitting on the curb and he's got a leather purse that he's working on and he's like pounding it and I'm like oh my gosh what is he doing so I like go over and I watch and he's like pounding holes into this leather strap of this purse and so I like probably scare the poor man I was like what it you know I'm asking I'm like what is that what do you have how are you doing that and and he like shows me this like it looked like a broken car part like in a piece of plastic that had been like welded to a piece of metal that was like cylinder and like sharp on the ends that he was basically using to pound out these holes and I'm like <gasps> like where did you get that and of course he's like you know obviously he made it or found it or something like that and I was like I need it how much can I buy it from you can you make me some and he's like oh you know like I'll make you some so I come back the next day and he had like 15 that he you know and it was all from some was from like yellow metal some was silver different pieces of plastic so none of them look the same but they all kind of serve the purpose so you know I bought these like homemade tools from this guy and that was kind of like okay like we have what you know we've got what we need and then I spent the next probably like week and a half two weeks just experimenting making them tons of different ways and putting them together different ways and figuring out kind of finalizing the design and how they were going to work. And my time in Uganda was kind of coming up. I was going home for Christmas. And, and so I went to Cornerstone and I basically said, okay, who are three women that are incredibly qualified, would do awesome in university, but would probably have the hardest time finding a job? So all the teachers got together and they like kind of talked amongst themselves and chatted and interviewed some girls and ended up choosing Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. So that was the first um, class of Seiko girls. So I sat down with Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. I had big bags of like all the raw materials. I had made a manual that had like step by step by step templates and measurements of this is exactly how you make a sandal. So we, you know, sat down for a day or two and basically made sandals together and, and worked on them and and at the end of that I kind of said if you know if you continue to do this you'll have a job for the next nine months and you will go to university in August so that was kind of the thing that that I committed to them of course going back to the states having no idea if this was going to work so one of the kind of the jokes is that shortly after that when Ben asked me to marry him I was like yes we might have to pay college tuition for three girls in Uganda. By that time, we'll be married and have combined finances. I hope you're okay with that. Like, So kind of came home saying, like, either I'm going to sell enough sandals to get these girls into university or we're going to have to come up with something else. So 
there was a little bit of a fire in my step at that point, for sure. That's Liz Forkin-Bohannon, and she and Ben did get married and are at the moment in Uganda again because Ben has joined Liz and is working for Seiko Sandals. And Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca are still in university full-time. Mercy will graduate first. She's graduating this May with a degree in computer engineering. Mary and Rebecca are set to graduate next December with degrees in community development and social work. As I mentioned, Liz is back in Uganda right now. She is meeting with the new team of women who are going to work until they start university next fall. Liz's husband, Ben, has joined her at Seiko, and next week, Liz will talk a little bit about the pleasures and challenges of working with her husband. I loved Liz's story about feeling like she was about to abandon her idea of making sandals because she couldn't find that one tool that she needed to punch holes, and then walking along the road, finding someone who was using something that she knew she could use, and having him make some for her, and so she could start this company that is now sending women to university in Uganda. I'm wondering about you. Have you had a story like that where there was one piece in what you wanted to do that was starting to feel impossible, and suddenly by looking around you, you found what you needed. If you'd like to send any story about finding your own spark, please do so. You can do that at the bottom of this page on on the website and send us your story or send us your story to mystory at pursuitofspark.com. I'm Julie Burstein. This is Pursuit of Spark, conversations about the challenges and possibilities and pleasures of creativity in everyday life. Please join me again next time when Liz talks more about Seiko Sandals.